0: Bible go with me to to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22 is where we're going to be this morning. Let me get my computer there maybe. So Matthew chapter 22, probably over the top of your uh, chapter you get a heading there uh, and encourage you or says to you on the top of that the parable of the wedding feast. And so this morning we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to talk about a wedding feast uh, this morning. So if you have your Bible, uh, go to Matthew chapter 22, look at verse 1. And then Jesus uh, spoke to them in a parable, so he's going to tell them a parable. He's going to give them some information, kind of like in a story form, uh, for them to comprehend and think about. So here we go. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again he sent out other servants, saying, Tell us of those who are invited. See, I prepared my dinner. My ox and my fatted calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went on. One to his farm, one to do business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Verse 7, the king was angry and sent his troops and destroyed those who murdered and burned their cities. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. So go therefore to the many roads and to invite, to the, invite them to the wedding feast, as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Verse 11, but when the king came in to look at his guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness to the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called few are chosen this morning as you have Matthew chapter 22 in front of you you have some information that Jesus is going to say hey the I want to I want to give you some uh, an illustration I want to communicate with you in a parable and so he's going to talk to the people that are listening and he's going to share with them here's a wedding feast a king now I realize that most of us have never been, to a king's wedding anybody ever been to london to the wedding anybody get an invite to the london wedding so nobody here got an invite let's just say you got an invite from the from the king saying hey you know what we would really like for you to come and watch and and participate and be part of it and so i'm pretty sure if you got that invitation you would write it down on your calendar and say you know what no matter what it costs i'm going to go sit over there and be part of this wedding And so as Jesus is communicating and he's telling them a parable, he said, you know, these people got invited to a wedding, if you look at verse 3, and he sent his servants to call the ones who were invited, but they would not come. They just decided, you know what, we got the invite, even though you're the king, we're not interested, we're not coming to your wedding. And so the king responds, and so if you go back to Matthew chapter 22 and verse 4, it says, again, he sent out other servants saying, tell us Tell those who are invited. So he's not just going to say, oh, go out and buy them. Tell them what's for lunch. Tell them what they're going to get to eat there. Because you know, everything about the wedding is the food. That's what everybody gets excited about. This is what's offered to you, the oxen, the fatted calf. Come eat. It's here. It's available. But they paid no attention. And they went off. One to his farm, another to business. While the rest seized his servants treated them shamefully, and then killed them. It's interesting this morning as we live in the United States of America, we just think we can live however we want to live our life and there's not going to be any consequences. Just go enjoy yourself. Go do whatever you want to do. But it's interesting as Jesus is communicating with these people, there's going to be a response from this king. He's just not going to go along and say, you know what? We really appreciate you murdering our people. Those are my servants. Thank you very much for murdering them. So there's going to be a response. I want you to see his response. Verse 7, the king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find, verse 10. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered whom they found, both good and bad, and so the wedding hall is full. All right, if you guys don't want to come, that's fine. There will be some consequences to what you've done to my servants, so we read that. But here's something that was interesting. As I've been reading through this, I got down here to verse 11. I'm thinking, now, wait a minute. This isn't making any sense now. You went out and found the good and the bad, and you invited them to your wedding feast, and now you're going to take one of those individuals, bind them up, and throw them out where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, this doesn't make any sense. So I kept reading a lot of different people's thoughts. And so most people think that this king made a way for the people that he went out in the highways and the byways, the good and the bad, saying, you know what, come to the wedding feast. Well, they weren't prepared with what they were going to wear. So he said, most likely, what he said is, I've got a wardrobe. You can choose from this wardrobe, but you need to wear one of these garments to enter in to this wedding feast. There's one individual in this parable that Jesus is to us, there's one individual that said, you know what, I don't need that garment. I don't care what the king says, I'm just going to go to the wedding feast. I'll wear what I want to wear at the wedding feast. The king's response to that one individual is saying, you know what? I will have you bound and I will have you thrown out because many were called, but few came. And so I've been thinking about this as a, as a word picture or an illustration. How do I make sense of this? What does it mean for me today as I read this parable, as Jesus has just come from Matthew chapter 21, he's writing to the Jews, he's he's came in uh, on the white horse, or he's came in on the donkey, he showed up in the temple, he's cast out the money changers, he's healed people, and now we're at Matthew chapter 22 thinking, "What? Well, how do I put all this together? So I don't know if I have a great way to put it all together, but here's some things that I was thinking about as I look at this parable. There's some things that I want to pull out of this parable and I want us to think about. I want to share some things with you as I as I look at these this whole situation, this whole illustration, what what jumps out to me? The first thing that jumps out to me is this parable pictures Christ coming for Israel and saying thanks but no thanks. Didn't he do that? Didn't he ride in and say, here I am. I'm available. I'm the one that wants to be your Messiah. I'm the one that wants to be... His they should have been aware of Old Testament. So when he come riding in on this colt, they should have been saying, oh, wait a second. I remember reading this. That is our Messiah. They didn't do that. They said thanks, but no thanks. They wanted him to come in not to the temple and clear out the money changers and say, hold on a second. You guys have made this a den of thieves. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. That's not what they wanted. They wanted Jesus to take that colt right up into Rome and say, you know what? You guys are no longer going to rule and reign. Israel's going to rule and reign. The Jews are going to be in charge. We're overthrowing the government. I'm going to rule and reign. That's what the Jewish people wanted. So even though they knew it was written, they didn't accept it. They didn't receive it. And so, one thing that's interesting is after Jesus has come through, his death, his burial, his resurrection, the Jews have rejected him. In 70 AD, the temple's destroyed. So Jesus has walked around, one, two, three, somewhere in there. Go ahead, choose your way. You think you can handle it? Go ahead. Anywhere you replace Jesus, there will be destruction. You can't do life well without Jesus. Jesus has offered you a sacrifice, a servant. Here's my life. Receive the gift. If you replace Jesus with something else, your life will lead to destruction. Your life will get so, or your life will get so bumpy, you'll get to the bottom and say, you know what, I've messed it up so bad. I need to start this thing back over again. I need Jesus. The nation of Israel didn't do that. And so this morning as we sit here, there's a couple verses that I want you to think about. The first one, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one should boast. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Can I just tell you something? As I look at this parable, the one individual that said, you know what? I'm going to disregard the king's thoughts, his preferences, his requirements. That required him to be banished. Now, I realize we live in America. Everybody's going to get a participation award. We don't want to offend anybody. We want to make sure that every athlete that shows up on any facility says, you know what, you really did a good job. Because we don't really want to look him in the eye and say, you know what, it's probably best for you not to continue on in soccer. You don't have the coordination to move the foot and hit the ball at the same time. It's okay, it's just you don't have it. We learned early on when we came back from Africa, we put Rachel on a softball field. It doesn't. Work. Okay. We could talk to her for hours when she's a bat. Just swing the bat. But dad, they're going to walk me anyway because they're terrible pitchers. So why should I swing? Because it'll be fun to see the ball fly through the air maybe once or roll across the ground. Just once. It would be really kind of neat. Never swing the bat. Dad, stop yelling at me. Everybody's watching me. I don't like this. Put her down on the piano. And, I mean, she has no high-end coordination. You throw a ball to her, her eye-end coordination is not very good. We practiced, okay? It just didn't work very well. You put it over there, this hand can go this way, and that hand can go that way, and the foot can do something else, and it all works. I don't know how. So we said, you know what? For our dental bills, it's probably best for you not to play softball, okay? So let's go on somewhere else. And she didn't really want to play anyway because she hated it. Can I tell you something? When you take your last breath, you will meet Jesus. And it's not going to be, can I just tell you something? It's not your terms then. You're not in charge. You're not going to say, well, I thought there was multiple ways to get to you. I thought we could get to heaven a lot of different ways. No, no. It is written, Ephesians 2, for by grace you've been saved through Faith, it's not about you. So if you're going to choose the garment to enter into this as something else other than Jesus, uh uh-uh. You will be set aside. You will be separated from Jesus. You will spend eternity in a place called hell. That's the way it's going to be. John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, whosoever says, you know what, I choose. So some of you like this. I prefer, I do not like this. Some of you like to look at your wardrobe in your closet and say, I think this goes good together today. I'm going to wear that today. I just prefer jeans, t shirt, or shorts. Just give me, and I don't care if they match. Just give me one of those concepts and I'm good to go. I can walk out the house. And I can walk back in the house, and she's like, you, you wore that to the office today? Yeah, it's comfortable. It doesn't match. Eh, you no, know, whatever. It's all overrated. But when you meet Jesus face to face, you better match. When you take your last breath, it's not your wardrobe, it's Jesus. It's you placing your faith in Christ while you have breath on this earth. Say, You know what? I believe. I'm reading a book right now about the church in the United States of America. You know what's interesting in that book? Most people in church in the United States of America do not believe that they're sinners. Most people in the church in the United States of America do not believe that they're sinners. That just floored me. I mean, that's, uh, that's just so natural for me. That's just, just kind of how my motor, I work, okay, yeah, this is over here. It blew me away. Do you realize that you're a sinner? Not my standards. Romans tells you that. Do you realize that you've been separated by God from God? Because of our sin, because of Adam and Eve. And there's only one way, one outfit. His name is Jesus. The other thing that I want you to, to kind of see with me is this that there's a time when Jesus will return to capture his bride for the wedding feast. There's a time that Christ is coming back. I don't know when it is, but I just know it's going to happen. And so the temptation for us is, you know what? Let's just enjoy Highlands County. Let's just just enjoy doing this. Oh, this, This is just comfortable. And all along, we should be thinking some of these verses. So if you have your Bible, go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses thirteen through eighteen. So, go to the right in your Bible. You get you find the Ts and just kind of work your way through there. It's in the middle there. You got it. And uh, so, it's easier to find Timothy. Go back to the left in your Bible. First Thessalonians. Okay, First Thessalonians, in chapter four. but we don't want you to be uninformed. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. We don't want you to be informed, brothers, about those who are fallen asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For, if, for this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the, the cry of a command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who are alive, those who are left, will be caught up in the air together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so We will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The time is coming. We're one day closer to the Lord saying, you know what? It's time. We're one day closer to the last person who places their faith in Jesus Christ that the trumpet blows. We're out of here. So think about that. What are we doing in our lives to say, you know what? I want to invest. In eternity. What are we doing in our lives saying, you know what? I really need to think about it. You know what, Lord? I'm going to look you face to face one day. I'm going to be held account for my actions. The last passage of scripture that, that I want you to see is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. So go to the right in your Bible. Paul's words to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter. 4 and verse 6. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And for my time for my departure has come. And if you think about Paul's life, he went from the the persecutor to the one who's allowed to be beaten, shipwrecked, imprisoned, left for dead. Philippians, I've learned to be content. Why? Because all the circumstances. He's at the end of his life. And he says this, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have established 25 churches. I made sure that 10,000 people came to know Christ. I was there with Timothy, all those discipleship things. See, what's interesting is we're always, and I, and then you fill in the blank. Look Look what you've done. That's not Paul. I have kept the faith. That was his passion. And so as you as you work today, as you're around this afternoon, as you show up at baptism class, have you kept the faith? What are we doing to to build that into part of who we are? No matter what goes on around us, I've kept the faith. I'll end with this. You know that we're looking for land, and we're looking for uh, God to give us direction. And so I was just thinking back about kind of my life, kind of our story. and And so when I was a young man, Uh, probably in middle school, uh, Pastor Jim said, you know what, we need to go to camp. And camp was in New York. And so we go all the way out to Word of Life Island. And so I went to camp at Word of Life Island a couple different times. And then my life was falling apart. And my dad says, you know, this math teacher and the coach thing, this thing's not really going to work out. I really think you need to go to Africa. And I'm like, Dad, I really do not want to go to Africa. He said, I really think this is going to be good for you. So I went to Africa. But before I went to Africa, I was probably 19 years old. I went back to Word of Life Island and they had a campfire. And that was a place where I said, you know what, God, I'm done. I'll give up math. I'll give up being a coach. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I threw my stick in the fire and said, that's it, God, I'm yours. But what I hadn't thought about was in 1946, Jack Wirtson, and I knew Jack. And he had started a ministry in New York City, and people were getting saved. And so this, this lady said to Jack, Jack, I really think you need to start an island. You need to start a youth camp. And Jack's like, I will live in the city. I'm an insurance salesman. I don't really want to go to Scroon Lake. And back then, Scroon Lake was, you know, six or seven, eight hours to get all the way up to Scroon Lake from New York City. And so they said, Jack, there's these two sisters. They're never going to get, they've never, they're not married. They're never going to get married, and they own an the island. And, Jack, we think you need to go look at that island, 45 acres in Scroon Lake, and we think you need to buy the island. And Jack's, they ain't got no money, 1946. And so Jack and Harry Ballback and one other guy Rode a boat across the Word of life island. And Jack went back to New York City, and he said to those two sisters, he said, I'll make you an offer. I want to buy the island. And the sister said, all right, fine. I'll pay you $25,000. And Harry Ballback looked at Jack Wirtz and said, Jack, you don't have any money. And the the lady said, all right, sonny, I'll take you up on that offer. You got 30 days to get $25,000. Forty-seven people got together to buy Word of Life Island. You know what's interesting? I never met one of those 47 people. But them saying, you know what, God? Here's some resources. They didn't know my name, but God knew my name. And God said, I want to do something in that kid's life. I can't wait to get to heaven. I don't know if I'm going to get to meet one of those 47. I don't know if it will matter. But as I stand here today, my life will never be the same because those 47 people, and I don't know what amount of money, maybe one gave a dollar, but at the end of those 30 days, God provided $25,000 for Word of Life Island. I don't know what God's doing. You're like, all we're asking you right now is, hey, God, we're just praying we don't know. That's okay. Jack Burton didn't know. But God is in a business of making a way where there seems to be no way. But is eternity a priority to you? You're one day closer. Do you know Him? Are you going to be one that shows up at the end of your life? Say, "Here I am. Check me out. I've done what I wanted to do." Or you be the one saying, "What? Well, I'm going to clothe myself with Jesus." I placed my faith in Jesus because he's the one who forgave my sin. I came to a place in my life that I realized I was a sinner. And then are we going to be the ones that when we came to the place to realize that we're a sinner, we said, you know what? Here I am. I want to be poured out like a drink offering. I want to keep the faith. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to gather around the scriptures this morning. Father, I don't know I don't know all the stories of your grace in people's lives. So if you've never said yes to Jesus, make today the day. It's so easy to show up at the banquet and say, Hey, this is my preference. This is my thoughts. Can I tell you something? You got one or two choices this morning weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, separated in a place called hell. Or forgiveness, mercy, grace hope. His name is Jesus. That's your choice. The other choice this morning is, God, here's my life. I want to give it back to you. Here I am to worship. 1947, 47 people worshipped, not by just singing a song because they gave. So, Father, thank you for doing work in those people's lives so that your, so that our relationship would really be developed because they gave. Father, may we be willing to give. May we be willing to pray. May we be willing to seek your face. May we be willing to lay down our preferences so more people can spend eternity at the banquet table because they found you, Jesus. It's your name, Jesus, I pray.